Hi, I'm Rach. And I'm Sue. And this is the George Ayer Podcast. And today we'll be talking about the Tollgate. Hey Rach, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how have you been? Um, not bad. I'm, I'm sat here wearing a scarf sent to me by my lovely American cousin, so that's very nice. And oh. today I went to my parents for a Sunday lunch. Now, it wasn't your traditional Sunday lunch. Is it really wrong to have lasagna and roast potatoes in the same meal? Because if it's wrong, I don't want to be right. I mean, you're double carbing, but then, you know, what's the difference between that and having lasagna and garlic bread, let's say? Um, yeah. So I, I think I think you're all right, Sue. I don't think there's rules. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry about it. Thank you. That's the blessing I needed. Um, what have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to? Um, it was half term last week and we spent a few days in Paris, which was, um, Ooh. which was good. Um, yep. Yeah, did the normal tourist stuff, bit of the Eiffel Tower. Um, went to the catacombs, which was very interesting. The Paris catacombs. So oh. yeah, mm-hmm. deep underground and there are, it's all quite morbid, but my oldest had enjoyed it cause he's eight, uh, an eight year old boy. So <laughs> He enjoyed all of the skeletons. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. a bit morbid, but but very, very interesting about how, why they did it. And, yeah, I, I would recommend it. But, yeah, it was good. On that, by the way, did you bring back to London the latest in French fashion? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, of course I did. I'm not quite sure what um, that would be. To be fair, I, mm. I messaged you, didn't I, asking for advice on whether I could get away with a particular sort of bag. And you said there are lots of women wearing them in Paris yeah so. yeah one of those cross, across the shoulder um yeah yeah everyone's wearing them yeah so there you go you've brought back the latest fashions from France mm-hmm. so George hey of you um so should we get on with talking about the toll gate let's do it okay I'll begin with the summary escaping from a dull family party Captain John Staple comes across a terrified young boy late at night, looking after a toll gate deep in the countryside. He stays overnight to get dry, comfort the boy, and uncover the mystery of the missing gatekeeper. Luckily, Nell Stornoway, granddaughter of the local squire, is well-placed to provide information, and give him the leveller he's been looking for. So, Rach, at the end of the last episode, you were speculating that you thought this one had caverns in it, and it did. I was right. I'm very glad that my memory held up. Um, and and remembered that. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy the story overall? Um, I love this book. Um, mm-hmm. I like I like one with a bit of mystery, a bit of a thriller, and that's what it gives mm-hmm. you. The love story is definitely to the in the background, isn't it? It's not it's not like sure. an incredibly strong love story. The main thing is the mystery, the thriller, bit of it, the adventure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I like that. Yes, I I particularly enjoyed the. It felt like a thruple at the end between John Chirk and Stogumber. That that was a little bromance all all in itself. Um, so I'm yep. sure we'll touch on that later. Um, yeah. But should we begin by looking at our um, our very tall hero, John yeah. Captain John Staple, Crazy Jack? Yeah, never trust a person whose prefix is crazy. That's, <laughs> that's just a good rule in life, isn't it? But he's a good hero, isn't he? Yeah, he's a good kind of crazy. Yeah, I think this is you know he's he's like a a proper a proper hero. He's he's you know he's tall. He's very capable. He's um, he's kind. 
Um, mm. And although, and he, and he, um, he loves a bit of an adventure, doesn't he? He's a he's a captain in the army. What more can you yep. want? So his cousin describes him early on, and I think at this mm. point we already know that his cousin's a bit um, fusty and top lofty. So we kind of have to see mm. it through that lens. But he says yes. he was very fond of John, but he thought him far too careless of his dignity. Probably his years of campaigning in the peninsula had made him forgetful of what was due to himself and the name he bore. His manners are easy to a fault, and he very often behaved in a freakish way, which seriously shocked his noble relative. His exploits in the peninsula had made him a byword amongst his fellow officers, and one at least of his actions since he had sold out in 1814 had seemed to the Earl unbecomingly whimsical. The Earl was very glad to see him safe home again, and began to think that it was time he settled down and married an eligible female. He had married a small estate from his father... He was 29 years of age, and he had no brothers. So, yeah, I think even though he might disapprove of John a little bit, he does very much respect him. Yeah, and he's obviously thought of kindly by um, most of his family as well, Mm, isn't he? He sort of seems... um, And and also, like, for all his his, his whimsical nature and his love of adventure, he's quite reliable, though in at the same time mm-hmm. isn't he so his cousin is relying on him to sort of help smooth things over with a dinner party and um and, yeah. and sort of keep control of it later mm. on um, and when his young cousin is flirting with a little bit he sort of you know deals with that really really sensibly yeah you're right he's just yeah, um yeah he, he's a safe pair of hands yeah he's not a care for nobody is he um no. he's not yeah he's um likes a bit of adventure but still um, mm. I do. I do like the bit later on when um, his brother-in-law is describing is is thinking about one of his adventures. Um, mm. Is it um, Lord Litchfield had every reason to believe that he had once wandered for a couple of weeks with a party of gypsies, and not readily would he forget John's sudden arrival at his house in Lincolnshire at midnight by way of open window and clad in the strange, disreputable garments. <laughs> Good God! What have you been doing? He had exclaimed. Free trading, replied John, grinning at him. I'm glad I found you at home. I want a bath and some clean clothes. <laughs> so I do, I do quite like this idea that your brother-in-law just turns up at your window with some um, in some dirty clothes and says he's been um, yes. he's got into a party of free traders. Um, and it, yeah, it, um, so that's the kind of man he is. <laughs> yeah, from what I remember from that, he had some sort of boating accident. He happened to be yeah. take, uh, rescued by yeah, a bunch of free traders. And because he's him, he made friends with them and joined them on their yeah. adventure. And I think it was his brother-in-law who was saying, if it had been anyone else, he just would have been murdered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's, it's, it's his bit. He says, uh, his wife, the John, um, John's sister, is saying, I cannot conceive how it comes. He was spared, Fanny had said. Oh, I wish he um, would not do such things. Yes, agreed her lord. Though, mind you, he's very well able to take care of himself. But in the power of a whole crew of smugglers, I expect they liked him. Liked him? (laughs) Well, you can't help liking him, pointed out his lordship. He's a very charming (laughs) fellow. And I wish to God he'd settled down and stopped kicking up these larks. Um, So, yeah, so just because you can imagine him just charming um, the smugglers and they take him under his wing and he, um, yeah. He's he's none the worse for it. Mm. I th- I think as well he had a very good attitude to sort of his time as a soldier because he he loved that life and all the adventure and, and danger that it offered him. But when he saw that, you know, they were entering a time of peace, 
he he stepped yeah. out of it because he was like, well, I, I need to actually go away and lead a slightly more normal life at this point. Um, well, yeah, and it didn't really hold much appeal for him at, at an army no. in, in peacetime. It's not going to hold the kind of adventure that he wants, is it? Yeah. Um, what I do like, and I think is a good sign, is that he's so good with Ben. So the boy that he mm. comes across at this um, toll gate in the middle of the night, um, he just manages to kind of reassure him straight away. And he's just very good. Like, he makes the boy wash and, uh, you know, keeps the kitchen clean and things. And uh, he, he feels like one of the most practically minded heroes in this. Like, he wouldn't, you know, he would always yeah. manage to survive. He could work his way around a kitchen. He knows yeah. what he's doing. That's 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 a, that's a nice quality. Yeah, and just the fact that he sort of met this young boy and he sort of recognised that he he was he was by himself and he was scared and mm. and just the fact that he stayed with him sort of it shows you how he's very kind and that that wasn't just for wanting adventure. That was because he felt like he had was now responsible for him a little bit and couldn't leave him. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's that saying, isn't there, about something like, if you save a life, you're responsible for it. Hmm. I guess it's like that. Um, there, there is a scene where uh, I, I, th- I kind of read it thinking, oh, this would be so good for TV because uh, he's washing himself uh, under hmm. the tap in the garden. <laughs> and uh, there's a, a portion, but it says, uh, so Ben collected a piece of coarse soap cut from a bar and a huckleback towel and followed his guest into the garden. But when he discovered that the captain, not content with sousing his head and neck, proposed to wash the whole of his powerful torso, he was moved to utter a shocked protest. You'll catch your death, he, ga- he gasped. The captain, briskly rubbing the soap over his chest and down his arms, laughed. Not I. So I've, I can kind of picture that in slow motion on TV. Yeah, it's a bit of a Bridgerton moment, isn't it? Well, I was thinking, yeah, Mr. Darcy coming out of the lake. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's that. So yeah, big fan of that scene, Haya. Well done. Um, <laughs> and then just like, uh, there's quite a few mentions made, I suppose, of the, the size of him, that just kind of people yeah. seem to find his bulk reassuring. There's a bit where I think uh, Rose, who has only really just met yeah. him, starts confiding her woes in him. And she says, I'm sure I don't know what possessed me, except for you being so big, sir. He could not help laughing. Good God, what has that to say to anything? You wouldn't understand, not being a female, she replied, sighing. I'll be going now, sir, and thank you. (laughs) So yeah, that's the kind of reaction he gets from women. Just like, oh, you're so big and strong. So when we have a hero as big as John Staple, we need a suitably sized heroine at his side. And we do. We have our Nell Stornaway, who's a lovely heroine, isn't she? She's great, yeah. Yeah, and I like her name. It's a very cool heroine name. Um, now, Helen, wouldn't it be? Yes. Yes, I would think so. So they meet when she is, um, he's looking after the tollgate and she's passing through the tollgate um, to go to church on the Sunday, which apparently you don't mm-hmm. need to pay for. I do like how much you learn in this about what um, what rules there are around <laughs> yes. what you pay for the tollgate. It seems to have a lot of thing about whether a, whether a, whether a calf has horns or whether yeah. um, how much yeah. you're carrying in your... But it does make sense, doesn't it? Because the the more you're carry, carrying in your carriage, the, the heavier yeah. the load, presumably the, yeah. the, the worse it is on the road, all makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I just love the idea that Dodger Hayer has done all of this research into <laughs> how much how much people had to pay at tollgates. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So John raised his eyes from the book of tickets. Gatekeeping, the charges, the words died on his lips. He stood perfectly still, gazing not at the groom, but at the girl beside him. A very tall girl, and nobly proportioned, she was dressed in a green police that was serviceable rather than fashionable. A pair of tan gloves, not in their first youth, covered her capable, well-shaped hands, and a plain bonnet with no other trimmings and a bow of ribbon was set on a head of thick chestnut hair, which showed tawny gleams in the sunlight. Humorous grey eyes looked down into John's, and the arched brows above them lifting slightly. An amused smile hovered about her mouth, too generous for beauty, but this faded as John stood looking up at her. She stared down at him, seeing an unshaven young giant, in stained leathers and a shirt unbuttoned at the throat, with curly fair hair ruffled by the breeze and the bluest of eyes fixed unwaveringly on her face. So yeah, he, she, he's clearly just absolutely dumbstruck, isn't he? Yeah, love at first sight for him. Yeah, well he says that's it, he's been um, given his leveller that he was looking mm-hmm. for, because he's got quite a romantic streak, hasn't he? He wants to meet a girl who absolutely knocks him for six. Yeah, and he's he's found that right here. You can't quite say the same for her. So she doesn't, I, I think she first, she does say later on, oh, you know, she she liked, she liked the look of him as soon as she saw him. But she does, she's not quite bowled mm. over, is she? Because she, all she's seeing, and I'm quite sure what I think about this, but all, all she's seeing <laughs> is someone who, who she's assuming is, is Breen's son and, um, you know, a, a gatekeeper's yeah. son. So she doesn't really look twice at him. Yeah, because he's a commoner. Um, later yeah. on, I think she does make a, a comp. Like he says yeah. something like, oh, I, I loved you soon as I knew you. And she said, oh, was it the same for you? That's, you know, that's how I felt. And I feel like when she says that, she actually means when she's on her way back from the church and he's scrubbing himself up. Yeah. He's talking posh. But hey, we know. Yeah, because as soon as he does that, she sort of says, oh... Yeah. Oh, good heavens, you're not Breen's son. Yeah. So as soon as he sort of tidies himself mm. up a bit and starts talking in his own voice, she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what else we know about Nell, um, she's 26 years old. She's, had, she's got quite a tragic backstory. So her father died when mm. she was a child, her mother when she was 16, and her brother died in the war. Um, and we also know that she's, you know, she's been acting as bailiff. Yeah for quite a long time and she was selling her her pearls to kind of keep the place afloat so you know she's tough and she works hard um yeah so her her grandfather sir peter um has become ill i think even before that she was keeping house for him and and, and looking after the estates and everything but he mm. he falls ill and then and, and he's in quite heavily in debt isn't he in the, the, the um and, and then she has to sell her pearls she sells all of his horses and his carriages and things like that so mm. she basically so she again like him is very capable and um, able to take care of herself and very I guess you'd have to be very you have to be very strong wouldn't you very strong-willed and very um yeah very able to take care of things which I like a heroine like that yes yeah she's not afraid of making a difficult decision mm. very practical obviously a great counterpart for for John Staple um I think she's also pretty tough, isn't she? Because uh, there's a scene where she really stands up to um, her cousin, Henry Stornoway, and the villainous Nathaniel Coate. So um, Henry's having a go at her for not being polite enough to Nathaniel Coate, their house guest. All I care for is that you should make his visit agreeable. You don't give a fig for the awkwardness of my position. If you open your mouth at the dinner table, ten to one, it's only to say something cutting to Nat. Yes, indeed. 
You'd fancy that he must be sensible by now, would you not, that his presence at Kellens is only less distasteful to me than the extremely improper style of his advances. But no. A woman of a dress would know how to turn it off without flying into a myth. Yes, and some women, no doubt, are more fortunate than I in those male relatives whose duty might be to be thought to guard them from such unwanted attentions. He coloured and shot her a resentful glance. What a piece of work you make about a trifle. I suppose you expect Nat to toad at you. Though how you should when you wear a, gla- a gown with a darn in it, the shabbiest thing, puts me to the blush, I can tell you. And serve such plain dinners, only one course, and that ill-dressed. And then to crown it off, go off afterwards, and never come into the drawing room as you should. No tea tray, bought in, nothing as it should be. Upon my soul, I don't know why you should look to be treated with any extraordinary civility. And then, he oversteps the mark um, by calling her grandfather uh, an old dotard, who's had his notice to quit. She took a swift step towards him. He shrank back instinctively, but not quickly enough to escape a swinging box on the ear, which made him stagger. You will speak of my grandfather's respect in this house, Henry. Understand that. Sweet. Ooh, she's feisty. She's feisty. Um, yeah. But Nathaniel, Nathaniel Cope witnessed this, and uh, he likes Snell's spirit in a very creepy, creepy way. Oh, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, so then at that point, he tries to... to Henry storms off and he tries to force a kiss on her. But luckily, um, one of the servants, Winkfield, sort of intervenes by sort of uh, coming in at exactly the... Well, as he's making his attempt and uh, getting rid of him. But yeah, he... Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to old Nathaniel. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the romance over, overall is quick, isn't it? But that's fine. That is part of the course. Basically, he's de- before we're halfway through the book, he's declared himself, which um, mm-hmm. is quite a nice moment. So even before he declares himself, actually, there's a nice bit where he says, um, "Where, where uh, I think he offers to help Nell, and Nell says, "Pray, what service could I, could I possibly stand in need of? I don't know that. How could I? Something is troubling you. I think I knew that." He added reflectively when that would-be tulip of fashion put you so much out of countenance this morning. Her chin lifted, she said with a curling lip. Do you think I'm afraid of that counter coxcomb? Lord, no. Why should you be? She looked a trifle confounded and said in a defiant tone, well, I am not. And I I like that. Like, he definitely has a lot of respect for her capabilities. And I think there are a couple of moments like that where, where he shows that he respects her ability to look after herself. Yeah, and he's also, he's not, like... From first meeting her, he's definitely not shy in making his feelings known. He's, he says a few things, mm. you know, which makes her blush a little bit, and um, yeah. which clearly shows that he has feelings for her and he likes her. Um, and so it doesn't really come as a surprise when he um, he declares himself. Mm. Mm. So we get to this bit. So um, let me find it. She's come to see him. Um, at, at the toll, um, at the toll gate house. Um, I must go now. I came this way, you know, because I had an errand to Mrs. Hugate, and by riding across the field and through the spinney, I evade the toll gate. <laughs> Is that what you wish to do? She said lightly. To be sure, doesn't everyone desires to evade toll gates? You must be aware of that. Of course, I could not help hoping that you came this way to see me. And tell me what a coxcomb I am, but I would, but I know that already. The smile wavered on her lips, and she looked away. 
no indeed I that is Ben told me and there is something I've been meaning to speak to Mrs Huggett about now my love she lifted her head looking worrying looking wonderingly up into his face the next instant she was in his arms crushed against his great chest he spoke magical words little love my dear one no one had ever called Miss Stornway little before and never had she felt so little or so weak Captain Staple was holding her with his left arm, left arm only and right hand employed in pushing up her chin, but it was far too strong um, a hold to admit any possibility of escape. She attempted none, but lifted her face in the most natural way, like a child asking to be kissed. A bit weird. <laughs> Captain Staple <laughs> tightened his... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Captain Staple tightened his hold and this vital yielding armful in a manner as gratifying as it was uncomfortable responded to the mute invitation promptly and thoroughly and forgot the world until beau possibly affronted by such behavior or perhaps hopeful of further um, largesse nudged him with a sufficient sufficient force to recall him to a sense of his surroundings <laughs> um so yes um i'm not sure how i feel about like this need for her to feel little and weak and to yield yeah. it's a bit ugh, uncomfortable isn't it mm. but anyway i wonder though if she's if she spent most of her life feeling a little bit big for the world yeah. she exists in that having that moment where you don't feel like that is probably rather nice oh it's completely understandable from her point of view as well because mm. she, you know the, um the expectation of women to be um like that as well and and that she's mm. not doesn't fit that in and so, of course, she wants to be like that. So that, that completely makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't blame her. Just society. Yes. Um, the shades of um, Prue, isn't there, in the masqueraders in that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, not long after that, uh, so Peter gets wind of, of John Staple and sees that kind of some, mm. something's going on and invites him to, to visit. And... Uh, they have a, a lovely conversation and uh, it results in John winning his permission to ask uh, mm-hmm. to ask Neil to marry him. So he comes out of the room having just spoken to her grandfather. Mm-hmm. What did he say to you when I'd gone away? He gave me permission to pay my addresses to you, my heart. So now I will ask you, most formally, if you will do me the honour of accepting my hand in marriage, ma'am. How absurd you are. What should I say? You must know that I have no experience in these matters. And I should not wish to answer with the least impropriety. You should say, yes, sir, I will. I'm sure I ought to display a little confusion, put on an air of surprise, perhaps trifle with you for a while. Thank God you have no such remissish ways. And I must remind you, ma'am, that we met each other earlier in the day. She pinched his chin. What a very unhandsome person you are to remind me of that. It was quite shocking. Exactly so. Unless you wish me to think you an outrageous flirt, you must promise to marry me. John, how do you contrive to laugh with your eyes while you keep your face so grave? I don't know, and you haven't answered me. Oh, you know I will, but not yet. Not while my grandfather needs me. You must not ask that of me, dearest. I could not leave him. No, I see that you could not. Don't fear me. I don't mean to tease you. Kiss me once more, and then I must be off. So that's nice. There's there's not much messing around. Oh, I don't know. I couldn't possibly. It's just, yeah, we're going to get married. We had a massive snog earlier in the day. Exactly. And then it was quite a short engagement because <laughs> because Sir Peter, who you know, feels like he's 
Yeah. So he's he's he knows that he's not long for this world, and he's very mm. worried about what's going to happen to Nell um, when he yeah. dies, and mm. she's left to, um, you know, the wills of um, with Henry and and Cohen. So he's very mm. worried about this, and he obviously recognised that in John, um, someone who's very worthy of his um, of his granddaughter, and so basically <laughs> tricks them all <laughs> and orchestrates <laughs> a, um, the marriage between them. Yeah, I think one of the things he's concerned about is that if Henry sullies the family name, not that John yeah. Staple will pull out of the wedding, but that Nell will think it's yeah. not fair to force him to keep up the marriage, and so she will refuse to marry him. So yeah, it's a very good plan. Yeah, I like he's it. like yeah, 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 exactly. Just you know, she she um. She he feels that she's gonna um, be silly, so she just takes takes all power out of her hands. <laughs> um, so let's have a look at the wedding bit. Um, so Sir Peter says, "Told me you'd marry Nell with or without my consent, didn't you?" I did. Mean it? John looked steadily down into those overbright eyes. Most certainly. Sir Peter gave a little cackle of laughter. Very well. You shall marry her now. There was a moment's astonished silence. Tell him it is impossible, Nell said in a panting undervoice. It ain't impossible, said Sir Peter. I've seen to that. Special licence, he told John, with impish triumph. Thorne's got it, but I sent for it. Told you I could still keep my horses together. You're at home to a peg, sir, John assured him, amusement quivering in his voice. He looked up and stretched out his hand across the bed to Nell. But how is this? Won't you marry me after all, my love? No, no, unthinkable, she said, wringing her hands. You're being forced forced into marrying me and in such a way am i but how unnecessary i don't even need persuading told you so said sir peter he don't suffer from distempered freaks um and then sir peter she kind of is unsure for a bit and uh, sir peter says stand no nonsense you'll do your bid miss no certainly not said john she'll do as she wishes now and always he walked around the end of the bed and took nell's tense hand smiling very kindly at her you shall tell me just what you wish, dearest. I ask nothing better than to be allowed to marry you here and now. Indeed, it seems to me an admirable scheme. To receive you from the hands of your grandfather is just what I would myself have chosen, but I'll drag no unwilling bride to the altar. So if your heart misgives you, my love, tell me so. John, John, not my heart, she whispered chokingly, her fingers clutching his. Um, So they have a little bit of a chat and they agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Of course they're going to get married. Um, She says... Well, she needs a bit of persuading. Um, cannot you perceive how wrong it would be in me to marry you like this? No, he replied simply. How can I be sure that you do not say you are willing only to oblige a dying man? His answer to this left her too breathless to speak, and with a strong suspicion that at least three of her ribs had been broken. Have you any more nonsensical questions you would like to ask me, my love? Asked John, a little unsteadily. I, I dare not, she said between tears and laughter. Good because I think we should not keep the vicar waiting. Or your grandfather either. And if the only qualms you have are on my behalf, there is nothing, no reason why we should. So there we go. They they, they come to it and it's all it's all yeah. good. It's a, I mean, it's a candlelit wedding, at basically someone's deathbed, which is maybe yeah. a little odd. But um, but the vicar, that's, that's, that's a nice passage actually. They come back into the room and they're all agreed to get married. The vicar... Rising to his feet, looking anxiously at Nell, was astonished to see the rigid and decidedly wrathful young Amazon had vanished. She was leaning on the captain's arm, 
one hand lost in his larger one, her face softly glowing and the tenderest of smiles hovering around her mouth as she glanced up at him. So there we go. She's clearly mm. chuffed to bits and all glowy and happy. Yeah. And I like this bit afterwards. That, so um, so Miss Helen Stornaway and Captain John Staple were made man and wife in the candlelit bedroom, watched by a dying man and attended by a nurse and a valet. The vicar had to look up their faces and thought he'd never married a more splendid couple. Though the lady's dress was shabby and the gentleman's leathers were stained. They made their responses firmly and they looked so happy that Rose, as she afterwards explained, could not help crying a little and even Winkfield admitted that it was a very touching ceremony. <laughs> I really like that. It's a really nice little yeah, <laughs> uh, way of describing mm. it. Yeah. I think we can assume they're going to be very happy together. Yes. The only thing I'm worried about is his need mm. for like going off having an adventure. Like... Is that what he's going to do? Just sort of like wander off and she's... But I think he'll take her. Yeah. She's very, she's very capable. Yeah. Exactly. And she said earlier that she wishes she was a man so she could escape. So I think she's got that adventurous side as well. Yeah. It's a great match. Everyone ends up happily ever after. (laughs) Yes. But I do worry about how big their children are going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Really, really big. Um... Okay, so, should we move on to some more dubious characters? Yeah. So, you mentioned the horrible Henry before. Mm. And he's just like a, he's a horror little man, isn't he? I, I, he's yeah. just, um, he's, he's weak. He's like, he's weak. That's it, isn't it? So, it's almost worse than Cope because he's just this, he's just this weak character who um who has who's horrible to now who is his you know his cousin yeah he's he's really horrible to sir peter who's a dying man and just no no respect for him at all and the servants in the house yeah it's that kind of um vindictiveness against people who are in a weaker position than him like his you know when um He's with John Staple and he's sort of gloating that he's become, that, that his his grandfather's died and how he's planning on taking his revenge against the, stir, the servants. And it's just such a yeah. petty, unpleasant side yeah. to him. Yeah, he's, yeah a, he's exactly. a weasel. That's what he is. He's a weasel in human form. Actually, weasels are probably all right. He's worse than a yeah. weasel. But, you know, John had to rely on his weaselness, didn't he, in his... In his um, <laughs> plot to um yeah. to bring this all off well he he knew that henry would try and um dupe him and get him killed when they're mm. going down yeah, we'll go into that later but but he, it was necessary for him to be that weaselly and horrible in order for john to pull off his plans <laughs> yes i suppose so um what i did like there's a point where he upsets his granddad and uh, so sir peter's ballot i think plants him a leveler um yeah <laughs> which I, I mean that's 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 a strong move isn't it from a valet yeah i like it yeah i guess he just couldn't hold it in anymore and i no, guess no. he knows he knows that he's not going to be kept on you know yeah. when sir peter dies and so you know what's he got to lose at that point yeah at that point i suppose he's protective of sir peter so um he did the right thing mm. um but even worse than henry nathaniel or Nat Coat. Oh, yeah. He is Ugh. vile. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Nell explains how 
he's already said that he likes a spirited woman and that's what he likes about her. That's always, It's never a good thing when a man says that, is it, in that kind of creepy way. And I think there's a passage in there where he, she talks about how he sort of makes her feel like he's undressing her with his, with his eyes. Mm. Like he's, he's got a very lascivious look about him. Um, yeah. That bit that you were referring to before, um, when he sort of forced himself on her um, mm. a bit. So it's a horrible exchange. Um, so they sort of come across each other um, it, um, on the stairs. So he did not move from the stairs. Oh, that's a slap from me, ain't it? I shall have to mend my way, shan't I? Why don't you take me in hand? Blister me if I wouldn't enjoy being schooled by you. I don't know when I've taken such a fancy to a girl as you. And that's the truth. Ah, uh, you may look down that high-bred nose of yours, lass, and try to ban me for your stone statue. But I know better. Full of spirit you are, and that's how I like my women to be. Women and horses, and devilish alike they are. You're a beautiful stepper and a ginger besides, and that's the metal for my money. If we, inter- if we were to employ the language of the stables, Mr. Cote, she replied, rigid with wrath, I will inform you that I have lived my life with a nonpareil, and I... I have nothing but contempt for, for mere whipsters. Now, if you will be so obliging as to permit me to pass. She had a momentary satisfaction of knowing that she had touched him on the raw, for he flushed darkly, but she regretted it an instant later. He strode up to her, an ugly look on his face, and, ha- and said in a thickened voice, Contempt, Tower, we'll see about that. He flung his arms around her before she could evade him, chuckled deep in his chest. She was a strong woman, and as tall as he, but found herself helpless. She, he was immensely powerful and seemed to control her struggles without any particular effort. Kiss me and be friends now, he said, his breath hot on her face. Oh, that's so horrible. And then the um, Whitfield comes along and sort of mm. clears his throat and, and then he, um, so it stops the whole thing. <laughs> but it's at, oh, that's such a horrible scene, isn't mm. it? Yes. And I think later on in the book as well, he talks about um, one of the servants overhears him talking to Henry, saying that he'll he'll have to force Nell into marrying him. And I think we all know what that that is um, code for. And yeah, God, he's just a repellent individual. Um, I mean, really, the stealing the, the, stealing the, the money is probably the, yeah. the, the best of the things he's done. <laughs> it's not... Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a good plan, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely not his worst trait, that. Um, yeah, but that, that whole scene mm. is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Um, we okay. He is a he is an awful man. Let's put a pin in discussing his comeuppance for a little bit while we talk about some of the other players in this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So shall we move on to quickly, Sir Peter? I yeah. Sir Peter breaks my heart in many ways yeah. because he is obviously such a, a colourful character who's lived this this bold life. But he's got this massive frustration inside him about his inability to protect his his family, or Nell in particular. That it's, you know, he's just impotent yeah. uh, against old age. Yeah. And he's obviously lived his whole life being able, being in control of things and, and being respected mm. and being... Um, you know, being a gentleman and being in those circles, and then finding himself in a situation where he's absolutely powerless to, yeah, um, to to do anything and and, and or to even have control over his own household, 
and and yeah. it feels like people aren't telling us that even even the even mm. the people he relies on he knows are not t- telling him things not telling him yeah. what henry's doing in the house not telling him that coat's there and that feeling of yeah impotence as you say must be it, it's just horrible mm. but he, he yeah he does find out that nate's uh, that coat is there at some point um and he invites him into his room for an interview and uh, i think kind of gets him drunk uh and really tricks coat i think into betraying his true character without giving his own contempt for him away i think and that's when he puts this this cunning plan into place um to get rid of him and to get uh john and nell hitched so and and then actually shortly after that he meets john and you have that contrast of his meeting with coat and his meeting with john where john knows just how to talk to him in a way that is kind of honest and direct. He doesn't suck up. He just sort of effortlessly conveys his quality, I suppose, and his love for for Nell. Um, and you, you kind of, I'm so relieved for Sir Peter at that point because I, I, I think, oh, he must be just so relieved that there is someone there yeah. to take after Nell when he's gone. That must be the biggest relief for him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really pleased that he gets to make the marriage happen like that's that's you know yeah. his kind of last bold move yeah we almost feel like he di- you know because he dies very soon after that it's almost mm-hmm. like the day mm-hmm. after isn't it and you think well yeah he, he it's almost like he fully feels like he could die and that that's why he did sort of thing like well you know he's yeah he's he's managed things and and so mm-hmm. it was okay to die almost yeah yeah i agree mm-hmm. um also on the list of Excellent chaps. Uh, Jerry Chirk. Oh. Are you a fan of Chirk? Yeah. High woman with a heart of gold. With a code. He has a code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. <laughs> um, there's a nice bit, actually, where he kind of explains a bit about the life of a highwayman. Um, it might be worth reading, actually, because I think it's probably the best insight we get in any of Georgia Hayer books on, on this. He says, um, so he's explaining his his life as a hireman to John Staple. Um, It's all according to the way you look at it, he replied. You might be lucky and end up with a dibs in tune, but I ain't met many as did. It's a free life, and if you've a taste for excitement, there'll be plenty of that. The chances are you'll go up the ladder to bed at York Jail, with a black coat saying prayers and the nubbin cheat ready to top you. It's well enough when you're young, but when you get to my time of life, and maybe have a fancy to settle down, well, that's where the rub comes, and no remedy. If I could lay my hands on a bit of balsam, and I don't mean a truss with six or seven goblins in it, and a couple of diamond rings which turn out to be Bristol stone, no, some real mint sauce, a monkey, and some old gauges strongbox, or even a couple of plums. Why, I don't know, but what I wouldn't turn to pound dealing. A tidy little farm, maybe, but I'm not a lucky cove. Never have been. So yeah, he's um, he's a highwayman. He's, he's realistic about his chances of, uh, of escaping the gallows, um, but he wants to go straight. Sue, I, I, Sue, I love the fact that this guy's got a um, a London accent, even though they're in the world of, York, of Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have Yorkshire in me <laughs> today. No. Um, no, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not one for um, <laughs> say anything about that. I absolutely love the fact as well that he, um, that Rose, who is a very respectable. Um, you know, a nurse 
falls in love mm. with him as well. I, I love I love yeah. that relationship. I love the fact that they've got this um, they've got this little thing going on. It was nice how they got together, wasn't it? So I think yeah. he tries to rob them because he just sees Nell's very tall figure and assumes that she's a man because he he wouldn't he wouldn't just uh, uh, steal from two women. Um, he's got a code and oh yeah, he's got a code. Um, and Rose just absolutely rips up at him until he I think he basically apologizes and <laughs> and, and leaves. Um, but yeah, he's he's got this the the code that you mentioned is a strange code I think because at one point <laughs> um, he's just robbed someone at gunpoint and then I think John says you know did you shoot him did you kill him and he said I ain't a man of violence and you're like you're a highwayman come yeah. on but then also in some respects he seems more sensible than John because I think John's outlaying the plan in the caverns yeah. to him at one point. And uh, John kind of said, oh, fine, hire him and you are to kind of uh, get worried at the hint of a risk. And and Chirk is like, hint? Hint of a risk? Are you <laughs> yeah. kidding me? And you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. right, okay. So Chirk, the hireman, is actually a little bit more sensible than Crazy Jack Sable. Well, also, when they're talking, yeah, when he's sort of talking about the plan, Jack's like, oh, this this is going to be great. This is like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like really looking forward to it. Almost says, well, if it, if it wasn't for Sir Peter and and Nell and and the state uh, you know the fact that the stakes are really high here for them mm. um this would be a this would be a great um adventure <laughs> um so he's like really looking forward to you know leading someone yeah. into a cave in order for them to try and murder him um yes yeah it's like oh yeah great day out <laughs> so let's let's get into the um the plan a little bit so what we know very very briefly is that um Nathaniel Cote and Henry Stornaway, um, well, Nathaniel Cote and uh, the two Gun Brothers have sort of organised a robbery of uh, some guineas that are going to no, sorry, sovereigns. Well, they're, new, they're new sovereigns, so the new the new king sovereigns, aren't they? They're replacing guineas. Yes, that's the one. Um, so they're not in, in circulation yet, so they have to be hidden. Mm. They did a clever thing where they made a sign point in the other direction so the um the the carriage transferring all these uh sovereigns went in the wrong direction into a trap they stole the sovereigns but they had to hide them for i think it was over a year um until they were safe to use and luckily um henry stornoway knew about the caverns so that's how they came to work together um so yeah there are these sovereigns down in the caverns and uh John knows that um, in order to get Nathaniel caught, uh, he needs to somehow get Nathaniel to the caverns. Um, and he uses Henry Stornoway to bring him there. So Henry thinks he's Henry thinks that he's tricking John. John knows that he's going to betray him and bring Nathaniel along to kill him while he's in there. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? He, yeah, so he is relying on henry double crossing him yeah in order to and and yeah so um and the pretense that they go he's taking henry takes john down there to see the body because he henry still thinks that john is breen's um is breen's cousin brother cousin 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 something um and they or nephew or something like that and um the Breen's who is dead in the cabin because he got greedy and was killed by cult, um yeah yeah coat oh this is complicated isn't it 
<laughs> if you haven't read the book, maybe read the book, guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't listen to this if you haven't read the book. Um, <laughs> so they go down there um, and it all plays out as John expects it to. And at the same time, yeah, Chirk is coming with the height with the um the Bow Street runner. Stogumba. Stogumba. Um who um yeah and so he get to ensure that Coat is sort of caught red handed. Yeah, so the the trap is sprung. Um uh John and Coat are grappling and Henry Stornaway is sort of standing there with his gun pointed at them. Um, dithering a little bit about whether to take his shot. Um, and Chirk is there, keeping an eye on the whole scene. So I'll, I'll read out... I'll, mm. I'll skip around a bit, but I'll, I'll read out this scene because it's an exciting one. Um, the captain's hand had reached Coates' wrist. Stornoway, standing behind him, lifted his pistol and tried to aim it. His hand was shaking like a leaf so that the muzzle wobbled lamentably. A deafening report as Coates' gun exploded was succeeded so immediately by a second that this sounded like a sharp echo reverberating round the vaulted roof of the chamber. A couple of stalactites dropped onto the floor, and Coates' empty pistol fell with a crash, just as Stornoway, who had uttered a queer groan, crumpled where he stood, and collapsed in an inert heap. The captain, suddenly releasing Coates, sprang back, his great chest heaving and his fists up. He met a rushing attack with a left and a murderous right that brought Coates down. He was up again in an instant, a hand fumbling at his waist, the captain saw the flash of steel in the lantern light and hurled himself with such force at him that both men went down together. But the captain was uppermost, and his hands were at Coates' throat. Mr Chirk, perceiving this, and aware that the panting runner had reached the entrance and was standing at his elbow, shifted his lantern and directed its beam onto, the, onto Stornoway's still figure. Mr Stogumber, out of breath, first amazed by the extent of the cavern, and then shaken by a fall on the stair, was feeling a little dazed and was unable for a few moments to marshal his wits into order. He had heard what sounded like two shots, he had seen Coates' attempt to stab the captain, and he had seen the two men go down in a wildly struggling tangle of arms and legs. Then they were lost in darkness, and he found himself staring at a dead man on the ground before him. Here, he ejaculated. What? How? Chirk slid a long-nosed pistol unobtrusively into the wild, wide pocket of his coat. The poor fellow is shot, trying to help the soldier, he said sadly. Dropped in like a pigeon, Coat did. Ah oh, well, it ain't no use crying over spilt milk. Get out of my way, Stogumber said fiercely, thrusting him aside and swinging his lantern to pick up the forms of Coat and the captain. Chirk, whose quick listening ears had already caught the sound for which he had been waiting, made no effort to stop him, but directed his own lantern towards the spot where he had seen the two men struggling on the ground. The struggle was over. Coat lay spread-eagled, and beside him, on his knee, labouring to recover his breath, his head stunk forward, was the captain. By God! The coal did stick the chiv into him, Stokeumber exclaimed, hurrying forward. Captain Staples, sir, here, Biggin. Let me see how bad you're hurt. Bring that light closer. You, catch hold of this lantern of mine too, so I'll have my hands free. Shake your shambles now. The captain lifted his head and passed one shaking hand across his dripping brow. I'm not hurt, he said thickly. Only winded. Leather waistcoat saved me. Thought it might. Lordy, I thought you were a goner, said Stokeumber, mopping his own brow. He looked down and coat and bent, staring raised his shoulders from the ground and let them fall again. Captain Staple, he said in an odd voice, fixing his eyes on the captain's face. His neck's broke. Yes, agreed the captain. I'm afraid it is. So, yeah, lots of grappling in the dark. Yeah. Um, two gunshots that kind of sound like one. Um, remarkable. 
is exciting to read, wasn't it? It is exciting to read. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a good passage. It's a good. It's a, it's a thriller passage, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. The and it's no accident. So John did mean to kill him, <laughs> and mm. um, because he knows that if he was if he remained alive, he'd um, tell um, he, he'd you know spill his beans about um, Henry. John didn't yeah. mean for Henry to die, though, did he? That was Chirk. Yeah. Although Henry was such a nervous wreck, I feel like he would have given himself away anyway if he'd have been yeah. left alive. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So um, it sort of all played out pretty much how John wanted it to. Um, and yeah. um, and, and, that, and that was that. And, and, and I mean... I don't think Stowe Gumble was 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 fooled necessarily. So okay. they um, they definitely persuade him to make certain changes to the scene, um, yes. so that John doesn't have to be involved, caught up in the whole thing. So they pretend that Coat um, has fallen, don't they? Rather than um, and banged his head and and, and uh, broken his neck whilst falling, rather than. Um, John killing him so I you know they, they sort of manage they, they in the end they're sort of three conspirators aren't they yes yeah and there's, there's a there's a bit where um where Stogumber just kind of uh <laughs> gives in and goes with it yeah. um Stogumber looked up at him this John under lowering brows you'd go into the witness box and swear you knew him for an honest man wouldn't you Captain Staple he growled on your oath, you would, I don't doubt. Stogumber, what could I do but that? His cousin is my wife. Chirk gave a long whistle. So, to be sure, you've been smelling of April and May ever since I met you, but I never suspicioned you were married. Two nights ago, in the squire's presence, he was dying, and I gave him my word that I would keep his name clean. Another silence fell. If we are going to move Coat's body, suddenly said Stogumber, with some violence, why don't we do it instead of standing gabbing? As for you, Rank Rider, you like the way, bring the gun along, which he dropped. Now, if I have any more swords from you, you'll be sorry. So he's just kind of like, ugh, I don't, he, he's made it clear he hasn't fallen for any of this. He knows what's happened, but it's like, all right, it, okay, this, it's going to play out the way you want it to play out, so let's just do it. Come on. And I like that about him. They work really well together, don't they? They do. And I think there's an element of, sort of understanding John's position and and some sympathy for him it's like oh okay this is your this is you know this, this is your wife's um relative and what else were you gonna do sort of thing yeah yeah I've got a bit of a question mark about Chirk's motives in shooting Stoneaway Stoneaway um because John's angry at him for doing it and he says what why did you do it mm. and firstly Chirk answers well, you know, I had a gun pointed at you. I didn't want you getting shot. And I think that's a really good reason. Because, yeah, Storm, Henry, Henry had a, a gun at him. That makes good sense. Um, but then, after a bit of pressing, he said, Chuck said, well, you know, I had a chat with Stogumber and I learned how much money I was going to make out of this. And, uh, you know, I wanted a way to say thank you to you. <laughs> so I offed your brother-in-law. Um, which is a more morally dubious motive, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, but I don't. Yeah, I, no, it is. I don't. I don't really have a butt there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess it. It's. He recognised that this 
it was the cleanest option for everybody, wasn't it? Because as you said, Henry was unlikely to provide, be a good um, witness or um, unlikely to be mm. able to keep his mouth shut about stuff. So it, it would have been... Um, it would have been very messy if if Henry had had survived. I'm not sure that's a better um, excuse, but he sort of saw it as a well, this sort of tidies everything up sort of thing. Yeah, neat, isn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. One of the things that uh, makes me think, oh yeah, Nell and, and John are a really great couple, is how well she takes these deaths in her stride. Because um, he returns back yeah. and she asks him. John, how did my cousin come to his death? He was shot when Coates' gun exploded. Did you kill him? No, no. Oh, my word, as a gentleman, I do not. I shouldn't have cared about him if you had, she said calmly. Did you kill Coat? Coat broke his neck, falling on a natural rock stair. I wish you would let me have my beer. She looked inquiringly at Mr. Babacombe. You know him much better than I do. Do you think he killed Coat? Oh, of course he did, said Mr. Babacombe scornfully. Knew it the instant he told us the fellow was dead. Probably didn't kill your cousin, though. Didn't seem to have any such notion in his head when you talked to me about it. She gave the captain his beer, and taking his free hand, lifted it to her cheek. I wish Grandpapa had known, she said simply. He would have been so delighted. Now tell us, if you please, John, just how it all happened. And that's how the story ends. <laughs> Giving him a beer. Yeah. Tell us how you killed those guys. Um, I do quite like how the story ends, because normally Georgia Hayes end on the couple together, don't they, in some sort of... Um, exchange of love or something and but this one yeah. ends with you know the, the three of them sort of sitting oh tell us this story about how you killed um <laughs> how you like killed the bad guys I, I like that yeah yeah and also we have um willatoft or willapop as stogumba calls him the um the guy who's representing the trustees of derbyshire tolls so uh he arrives on the scene he's like where's the gatekeeper and then there's like a whole crazy conversation around there because john stable has done what he's need he's needed to and he doesn't intend to stick around so i think chirk's gonna look after it for a bit isn't he and um yeah and i do like that chirk's gonna look after ben as well yes chirk, yes, chirk and rose nice. are gonna take yeah take in ben yeah yeah because i i was thinking oh is he gonna end up going to work as a as a groom for um staple and I think that was raised as a possibility, but yes, having a family home is going to be much nicer than just a job. Mm. Um, so that's cool. I'm pleased for Ben. He deserves it. Um, I don't think I've got anything else to add on this one. Oh, there was one... Okay, there's one little yeah. thing, one little quibble I have with this overall. Yeah. Coats are bad, and I'm not saying otherwise, but... A lot of the accusations are levelled at him and really associated with his low breeding. So it's it's sort yeah. of... I think there's a point where Staples talking to Sir Peter about him and kind of saying, well, his behaviour is hardly unexpected and a man of his low breeding. And you're thinking, oh, I don't really like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. No, but it's not... That is not uncommon for Georgia Hayer books. No, no, no. It, it's quite in keeping with how yeah how somehow breeding um yeah is related to worth and yeah. that you can tell somebody's quality and you know it there's lots of things in that it's throughout the books so it is in keeping with with it it, it, it is mm, uncomfortable mm. though and i guess yeah. so he did turn out like that but then but chirk is a 
is essentially a good character, but he isn't well bred, is he? Um, yeah. But he is a is a good character, and, and most of the servants yeah. in this are um, are are the for all of the servants are a, a, you know good characters who um, who are presented as good, but they're low breeding. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but I think what the difference is there is that that they know their place. Um, yeah, like Chirk yeah. isn't trying to be anything he isn't or mingle with people that uh, are outside of his station, I suppose. That's, that's um, right, yeah. No, you're right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uncomfortable, but there we yeah. go. Um, not as uncomfortable as a lot of murder. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I'm all right with the murder. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in this okay. context, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that feels like a good, a good place to end it. So, Sue, what are we going to read next? Sprig Muslin. Okay, good. I can't remember anything about this book. Should be good. Should be interesting. I think the hero rescues a young girl who's not the person he ends up with. Maybe? Yeah. I mean, that could be about 10 different books, couldn't it? But um, maybe that. Could be. There's, there's, yeah, there's a few. Is it one with Amanda? Anyway, we'll find out. Yes. There's somebody um, on Instagram who's asked me before, when are we going to do Sprig muslin so i think this is probably quite a popular one um so yeah hopefully uh you'll join us in reading it perhaps beforehand and then uh, join us for the podcast so thanks for listening um do give us a review if you get a chance or just tell a friend to give us a listen that'd be lovely too um take care of yourself thanks for being one of our little hey gang bye for now bye bye